Welcome back to another episode of Big Tourism on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I am your host, Erica Sears, bringing destination management thought leadership, unique partnerships, and outstanding destination projects to you. Before we jump on our show today, I just wanted to acknowledge what a very difficult year 2020 has been. Um, Right now we have the wildfires raging up and down the West Coast, and my heart goes out to all of those who are losing homes or being displaced at this time. It's been truly incredible to see communities coming together and supporting their neighbors um, just during this totally chaotic time. That being said, um, there is something positive happening today, and that is that I have a celebrity joining me on Big Tourism. My guest is Jeremy Sampson, the CEO of the Travel Foundation, a leading NGO in the travel and tourism sector. Based in Bristol, UK, Jeremy heads the organization's global work to improve the impacts of tourism on people and the environment. Under Jeremy's leadership, the Travel Foundation is working with travel companies and destinations to better understand the impacts of tourism and maximize its benefits for local people and the environment. He has also been instrumental in spearheading the launch of the Future of Tourism Coalition, which we will chat about today. With experience in the tourism, conservation, and sustainability arenas, Jeremy has worked extensively with the public sector, small and medium-sized businesses, multinationals, and civil society. He spent five years as VP of Communications and Partnerships at Sustainable Travel International, and another two years as president of international tour operator, Greenspot Travel. He served as an adjunct professor at the George Washington University International Institute of Tourism Studies, was elected to serve on the executive committee of the WCPA Tourism and Protected Areas Specialist Group, and currently serves on the Destination Stewardship Working Group of the Global Sustainable Tourism Council. Needless to say, this guy is legit, and I'm so happy to have you on the show. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks so much, Erica. It's really good to be here. I, I think that's the first time anyone's called me a celebrity, so <laughs> I'll I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Big Tourism. We're uh, <laughs> all all VIPs here. Um, so sometimes it's really difficult to try to introduce somebody and someone's organization and really do it justice. Um, I found your intro on LinkedIn, as my listeners know, I love LinkedIn. That's how you and I connected. Um, But what I thought would be fun, and we're going to try for the first time on the pod, is I don't know if you remember, maybe a year ago, there was that meme, and it would be four different pictures. And it would say what my parents think I do, or what my family (laughs) thinks I do, what my colleagues think I do, what my friends think I do, and what I actually do. Do you remember those? Yeah, absolutely. Great. So we're going to try that today. (laughs) So let's do what your friends think you do, what your family thinks you do, and what you actually do. Sure. You can be as creative or serious (laughs) as you would like. No, I I think about this a lot because (laughs) no one really knows what I do. Um, So let's see. My friends, for the most part, think that I'm a travel agent. Um, So... Um, I get I get asked all the time if I if I can help if I can help plan trips, um, which is is um, completely outside the realm <laughs> nice. of anything that I do. Um, my family has literally no clue what I do. 
<laughs> I mean, I think they know something to do with travel. And other than that, it's just way beyond their scope of understanding. They know that I'm happy. <laughs> um, and, oh, sweet. Um, and what I really do, well, that's a that's the uh, the, the real question. Um, so yeah, I mean um, with regards to the Travel Foundation. Um, I am the, the chief executive officer of this organization, um, which is based in the UK. And um, our, it is a global uh, nonprofit organization um, with a uh, mission to help um, better understand the impacts of tourism and to ultimately to ensure that tourism uh, benefits communities and the environment. And we um, have a whole portfolio of work, which I can tell you all about. Um, which is, um, you know, focused on these two these two main objectives, um, and and I get to spend all of my time working with a great team um, to help um, make those make those you know big goals come to life. So so basically, you're a travel agent. Yeah, exactly. I'm a travel <laughs> agent. Yeah, where do you want to go? Um, that is- <laughs> if only we could all travel. <laughs> yeah. It's super interesting. I asked you that question just because you know you and I have had a conversation before, and we. We work in a lot of similar things. You're just on a bigger scale than I am, but I have the same issue. My family has no idea what I do. My friends also be like, oh, so where should I go? Where should I stay? Um, a lot of people think that I hand out brochures or work on a cruise ship. And I'm like, no, no. You know, we work on partnerships and destination management. So it's so nice to have a fellow um, tourism industry professional here who is also misunderstood and passionate about their work. <laughs> um, but as you mentioned, you have an awesome team to support you. And I think it'd be interesting to, to sort of look like look at what, what the Travel Foundation team looks like. So where does everybody work and what kind of departments do you guys have? Yeah. Um, so our team is, is based in the UK, as I, as I shared, um, in Bristol, um, which is um, in the southwest of England. Um, we are, um, so we have a, basically our model is that we have a, a core team, um, which is, well, we were based in an office. Now we're all based in our homes <laughs> for the foreseeable future. Um, and that core team is focused on advancing you know, our overall global program of work. Um, so we have a, a communications team, um, a fundraising and partnerships team, um, and a programs team um, that is responsible for implementing our, um, you, you know, implementing our, our, our programs and destinations. And we also, um, in any destination where we have um, multi-year engagements, um, we also have a, a local coordinator. Um, so at the moment, we have local coordinators in Jamaica, Turkey, Cyprus, St. Lu- St. Lucia, and Mauritius. Um, and we've had in- coordinators in other countries um, previously when we had uh, longer-term projects there. Um, and then I, you know, I think a lot about that. That's our core team, but we have quite an extensive network of partners, and you know, uh, some of them qu- quite formalized. Um, others, you know, sort of an informal network of, of folks that we work with, either consultants or local organizations. And I, I consider that part of our broader team um, who are all working together um, globally to, to address these, these issues of, of helping tourism, you know, deliver benefits to, to communities. 
Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I think that's important to have sort of that local connection, having core team, having that network. And I think that goes back into the difficulty sometimes of communicating how an org, how a nonprofit can be global, how you can be working global and effectively. And it seems like you have the team situation figured out in order to help you implement projects. Um, my next question is, how are you funded? That's always a fun one. <laughs> yeah, um, that is a fun one. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. Going back to the beginning of our um, history as an organization, uh, we were founded in 2003. And our, our original funding actually um, came from, uh, it was a cooperation of several of the big international outbound tour operators based in the UK. Um, so TUI, um, Thomas Cook, Virgin Holidays, um, several others in cooperation with the UK government, put in seed funding to start the Travel Foundation. And the reason that we're called a foundation, it's a bit of a misnomer because now we are, um, we act more, more as a sort of traditional um, nonprofit organization, but we were originally a grant-making organization um, using the funding from those um, those um, contributing partners to design and implement projects in destinations at the time with a particular focus on uh, destinations where UK holidaymakers uh, traveled. Um, so things have evolved over the years. And as I said, we've become more of a traditional nonprofit organization. Um, the best way to describe our funding is maybe to, to tell you about the three areas that we work in. Um, so the, the sort of three buckets, one of those is research. Um, the, this, so we do, we do a, a lot of research on, on our own or we commission uh, research from partners that we help to, uh, to disseminate to the sector. Um, we um, are involved in projects on the ground, which are primarily focused on developing and disseminating uh, what we call knowledge products. Um, so those knowledge products could be anything from new methodologies to trainings to toolkits um, that, that um, as a nonprofit, we're responsible for taking the learning and, and putting it back out um, to the sector to inspire and, and educate. Um, and then we have a global um, program of, of advocacy um, through which we do events, we do podcasts, you know, we do thought leadership work, co um, content um, dissemination, um, network building, etc. So um, the the um, work that we do on the ground is is often funded um, directly by either um, destinations uh, who we who we partner with or by, by companies. Um, that we, you know, that, that we work with um, directly to, to support them or by development agencies. So we, we are often implementing partners on, on larger development, uh, development uh, funded projects. Um, but our global um, program of advocacy has traditionally been supported by, um, by a network of um, mostly private sector uh, so businesses um, who provide general funds um, to our organization so that we can um, continue to do this, this important work of advocacy. That's been really difficult um, this year, particularly with the COVID-19 COVID crisis, as some of that funding has, has actually evaporated. <laughs> Traditionally, that fu those funds come from um, our, our donations that, that come from, from bookings, um, you know, or just an annual contribution that companies make. But as, as many, many of our partner businesses are struggling, of course, this year. So, um, so this year will be a little different um, with regards to our funding, but we're, we're hoping to build back that support over time as the industry recovers. 
Definitely. This year is going to be a little bit different <laughs> for everything and everybody. And I definitely feel for you all. But listening, though, to just the amount of the amount of people that you're working with and the way that you're getting funding, like the first thing that comes to my mind is just flexible. Like you must be so flexible to be working with private businesses in different countries. And um, I think that just I just assume um, maybe that's incorrect, but that it just makes it a little bit more, more nimble rather than when somebody has just one stream of funding and one person they're reporting back to. That's incredible that you have so many different things going on. And hopefully that'll um, help with some of the bounce back efforts from COVID-19. Um, that being said, with with the world being as big as it is and tourism being as big of an industry as it is, how do you prioritize projects? Is that coming from the different organizations funding you? Or do you have like a vision or a strategic plan that kind of guides, you know, what area of tourism that you're focusing on and therefore the research, the knowledge projects, the advocacy? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's always on our minds <laughs> um, trying to trying to figure out how to best prioritize. So um it's interesting. Um, o- over the years, uh, many of our projects, I'd say in the early days of the Travel Foundation, many of our projects were really donor-driven and donor-led. So we were responding to um, you know, open, open calls for projects or working with foundations who had very specific priorities with regards to either geography or um, objectives that they were trying to hit. And we, we did a lot of those projects with a particular focus on on areas like um, livelihood development, um, value chain um, analysis, um, you know, helping um, link, um, for example, the agriculture sector and suppliers into the tourism, uh, you know, into the tourism supply chain. These kinds of projects um, were, were a big focus of ours for many years, helping um, small businesses learn how to adapt and diversify their products for the market, this, this sort of work. Um, over the years, we, we've evolved a bit because um, we've, we've learned from doing many of those projects that while um, that work is really important and we're, we're really proud of a lot of the, the outcomes we've been able to achieve, um, it's pretty critical that we start to look at the, the destinations um, around, <laughs> around the, the, those suppliers and businesses to ensure that those places are protected. Um, and in, in many cases, you know, you can, if you do great work, bringing in people to the tourism supply chain, but the destination around it is is crumbling, um, it doesn't really matter. They won't have jobs in, in a few years. You know, if the, if the resources aren't protected, there won't be jobs in a few years. So we've really evolved um, and, and, and pivoted in a sense to um, start working on the, these root issues beneath the surface um, that, that we think are critical to, to changing the model of how tourism is developed and managed in order to put community needs at the center. So that means we're looking at um, supporting destinations to um, change the way that they the, the way that they measure and manage um, um, success in tourism, um, change the way that they cooperate with um, with businesses um, in their community, um, change the um, and help build the capacities and the the skills of destination managers um, to address the the. The very real 21st century challenges that even before the crisis that, that many places were facing, um, and and there's a uh, so so now we're we are prioritizing projects um, that really start to tackle the root issues, um, and I think you know o- over time um, th- this is this is the the direction we we 
uh, really think it's it's important to go if we're going to to achieve this this goal of putting community of putting communities at the center. Um, and so, in that regard, when we look at um, where our projects are coming from or where the advocacy and thought leadership um, that we do, um, we're, we're in many ways looking for um, um, looking for places where we can um, showcase examples. So there's two two kinds of places where that might happen. Uh, one may be a, a leading destination who um, is interested and willing to pilot new methodologies and have that. Um, uh, you know, have the, the work showcased and, and shared back with others. Um, we're doing a lot of uh, new work in Europe, actually, where there are where there is quite a quite an investment being made in sustainable tourism solutions. Um, and then on the on the other hand, I'm continuing to work w- within a within a development context um, to identify those projects that that really um, are willing to to sort of take a, a look beneath the surface and and and, and support. Um, destination management issues. So, in a sense, um, you know, it's we, we, although we we had thought that perhaps we'd be focusing on specific regions, um, it's really more about identifying the places and the opportunities where we can um, develop and showcase um, really good knowledge and really inspiration that can be put back into the sector um, to help inspire change. Yeah, that is man. I think all of our listeners out there, especially those that are living in, you know coastal communities that are really big destinations for tourists all just breathe a huge sigh of relief like just to hear putting communities at the center and thinking about the destination more than just the tourism demand um i think there's a big sigh of relief out there and so hopefully everyone's excited to jump a little bit more into what that means um and we definitely appreciate that work before we sort of jump into that my last question really about the Travel Foundation is, you know, and just reading your own bio, um, you know, what sets the Travel Foundation apart from other international travel tourism industry organizations? It looks like you've already worked for a few. Um, you know, w- what sets the Travel Foundation apart? And maybe you just answered it partially. Yeah, I mean, there are a few other things I'd say. One of those is, um, is the fact that we really have worked um, quite closely with industry over the years. Um, you know, our Although we're, we are working more and more on destination-related issues, um, we have a, a, an extensive background with, um, with private sector. Our, many of our team have worked in private sector, and we understand the business of tourism. And I think it's, it's, it's really difficult to, to help solve and, and address the, the issues and challenges and, and opportunities of travel without having that distinct um, sort of private sector perspective. So we see ourselves as a facilitator um, that can really help understand sort of both sides and bring together uh, and sort of bridge the gap um, that, that exists sometimes in, in the sort of public-private agenda. Um, so that's a role that we continue to play and, and we're, really, we're really proud of. We think it's really important. The other aspect is because we know tourism really well, again, back to the, the business of tourism, the day-to-day, even myself, I, I took some time in between my last NGO job and this one to work to run a tour operator for two years and to go back into the industry and understand and remember what life is like on the margins as a small business. Um, so many of us have that understanding. And so, you know, I think in the tourism world, when you look at academia, when you look at the, the development context, there's a tremendous amount of 
research, solutions, interesting things coming out, but they're not always practical um, and they're not always digestible. So I think one of the things we've done really well over the years is just continue to insist on, on being as practical as possible. So everything that we develop is, is meant to be used um, and not meant to be sort of not meant to sort of sit on the shelf um, um, because no one, no one can un- understands it or quite um, understands how to apply it to their context. Right. What a, what a perfect answer. It's like you're the CEO or something. (laughs) (laughs) I've Um, practiced. Excellent. A lot of big nodding coming from me over here. I'm like, (laughs) that's how it goes. But um, yeah, I love that. I love the, the fact that it's practical. And I think we do see a lot of stuff come, you know, from universities and a lot of suggestions and, you know, visionary things where you're like, well, as a private business, I don't think I could actually implement this. Or as a DMO, a destination management or marketing organization, this doesn't even make sense. So I love the idea that, you know, you guys really are aiming for it to be used and to come off the bookshelf. Um, One of the things that the Travel Foundation has done is they have commissioned a report called The Invisible Burden of Tourism. And just to start off this part of our conversation, we are going to watch a short video And when I say watch, this is a podcast, so we're all going to listen to the video. Um, And it's really going to set the scene in a great way for just what the invisible burden of tourism is. International tourism is rising and fast. In 2018, arrivals reached 1.4 billion. While tourism can bring economic development and other benefits, it also brings a range of hidden costs. Wherever it exists, tourism places an invisible burden on destinations. On the face of it, tourism pays its way. Tourists spend their money on local services and businesses pay local taxes and utility bills. But many costs are not accounted for, such as the cost to upgrade infrastructure beyond resident needs to meet tourism demand, the cost to manage and protect public spaces and natural habitats, the cost of increased exposure to climate change risks, and the cost to locals of rising house and land prices driven by the demand from tourism. Either residents are left to pick up the tab, or it's just not paid, leaving the environment and other public assets to suffer. When visitor numbers are low, the invisible burden goes largely unnoticed. But as tourism grows, every new visitor brings unanticipated costs to the destination. As the invisible burden escalates, destinations become spoiled and residents protest or are forced to leave. Failing to account for tourism's invisible burden puts fragile ecosystems, cultural wonders, and community life at risk. This puts tourism on a weak foundation that could crack under its own weight. But it doesn't have to be this way. Destinations need our attention and resources. Dynamic leadership, new talent, investment platforms, and analysis of the invisible burden will benefit visitors and residents alike, now and for generations to come. Find out more by reading the report at invisibleburden.org. So excellent video. I loved it. It was super easy to understand. Even I think if you're not in, actually, I think it actually makes more sense. Even if you're not in the tourism industry, um, our listeners are in coastal communities, they're policymakers, um, they understand the infrastructure. So this video was incredible. It was so well put. Um, I guess just backing up a little bit, this is also a fairly new report that people can access. It's about 45 pages, but it was, um, 
I think was it released a year ago, Jeremy? Yeah, just just over a year ago. Yeah, so it's fairly new. And I was curious, you know, what made the Travel Foundation decide to do a report like this? Um, you know, it's interesting to see an industry say, hey, we're going to look at ourselves pretty critically and do a report and a wonderful video about some of the issues our own industry is doing. Um, so I'm really curious what what brought you guys to do that. Yeah, I mean, a couple things were happening. I think that that inspired um, that inspired this idea. Um, the first thing is that you know we have been talking about um, issues of sustainability in tourism for a, for a really long time now. I mean, while the conversation has evolved and matured, um, we, we we felt that there was still uh, some fr- some new framing. Um, that needed to be done in order for people to understand, even within the the industry, to understand the issues. So back to that in a moment. The other thing that that was happening, and it's hard to remember now in this new paradigm that we find ourselves in, but six months ago, everyone was talking about over-tourism, and and many places were were suffering um, from these issues of over-tourism and and, and waste and plastics, and this was the hot topic um, before before the world was grounded, which, again, it's just hard to imagine now. but uh, so b- with both of those things, you know, I- I'd say were the impetus. And, and this, this idea of framing the problem differently was, was really important. And I think what's made the report so successful, um, because in a sense, I, I don't think we're, we're nece- we've necessarily um, brought something earth shattering <laughs> to the conversation. But what we've done with our partners is frame up the issue around a, a really concrete way, way, sort of business-oriented way to think about it. So the invisible burden really is the fact that while we understand quite well the benefits and and have done quite a quite a there's been extensive work done to to demonstrate the economic contribution of tourism to communities, we don't have enough information about the costs <laughs> of doing of doing business in, in a community. So what does it cost to service? tourist demand, and ultimately who is accountable for covering those costs? Is it the taxpayers? Is it no one, which is often the case? And and therefore, what do we do about it? So by crafting this story, um, you know, I think it helped just bring the, bring the issue um, in, into the light in a way that people could clearly understand. We, we also, there's not a bunch of solutions in there. We, we do talk a lot about the root issues, but it is a call to action um, for, for the industry to, to, to look at things in a different way and to realize that perhaps if we, um, if we understood better um, the, and had a full accounting of the cost and benefits of tourism, that maybe we would, we would want to make different decisions I should emphasize that this is not an anti-growth message. Um, you know, I, I think there's nothing wrong with growth per se, um, and, and the industry has been addicted to growth for a long time. But the, the, what we do advocate for, though, is 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 um, growth that is not somehow managed or understood. And uh, and, and this is the bit the call to action that, that exists within the report. Can we just better understand the implications of growth? So as to ensure that ultimately it's it's bringing it's you know it's bringing a sort of overall net positive to to communities. 
Yeah. And it's interesting you say, you know, I'm not against growth. Um, and one of my questions was, and your answer is making me think, was there any pushback to doing this report? Um, did anybody call out, call you guys out and say, Hey, why are you doing this? Or this doesn't make sense. Or you're anti-tourism. Um, mm-hmm. Was there any pushback and what did it look like? Quite the contrary, <laughs> actually. Um, it's, we've, it's been received tremendously. Um, Great. And, and- and we've had an opportunity even even to to um you know to share it we've shared it in in many places now um we've we've brought it to the table in conversations with big companies um and they, no in fact they get it and, and and in fact there's been a i think a movement over the last couple of years a bit a bit more pressure on companies and destinations who are recognizing hey We've, you know, we've got to do something, um, but maybe we're not sure exactly exactly how or what. And I think this is framed it up in, in, in a way that they can they can understand and, and, and wrap their heads around what their role might actually be in, in being part of the solution. Um, so in that regard, it's it's just been it's just been received so positively. And what's really interesting is the the way it continues to be received, even in a moment where we have no tourism or very little tourism. I shouldn't say none because some, some of our communities in the U.S. were, were packed this summer. <laughs> but but this, is, this is a part of the problem, I think, in, in this idea of you know, building back better or dispersing um, travelers to different, different communities. Um, are these communities ready <laughs> for that growth? And, and what kind of costs do they need to, to ensure that they are um, accounting for if they're going to, to ultimately um, benefit again, benefit from this kind of dispersal. So, so it's it's framed now in a different, in a bit of a different light. But as we grow again, you know, here is the, here is the opportunity to perhaps understand those implications and do it a little bit different. Yeah, and you know, I watched this video just about a year ago. It was sent to me, and that was you know when we were also in this over tourism destination management mindset, and it really clicked with me and made sense. And then I've watched it again. Um, you know, since the COVID has happened and it's still, it makes sense, you know, especially when it's talking about these costs that aren't counted for, like upgrading infrastructure beyond resident needs, protecting public spaces and natural habitats, you know, the, the cost to locals of their livability. Those are all things that we're seeing as people are unable to travel internationally or coming and are coming to the Oregon coast. And we don't have enough bathrooms for everybody. So now our natural habitats are being destroyed. Um, it's it's totally clicked with me again. So I, th- I totally agree with you. And I'm glad that it's been received so well um, because I think that it is important to be critical when we're looking at our own industry and how it's affecting the destination, the destinations like beauty and charm, which is also bringing people there. Yeah, it's very interesting. I was curious, um, after this report was released and as a seasoned international tourism expert, what stood out to you most from this report? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I really think this, um, you know, this, uh, f- again, the framing, um, in a sense, uh, of the problem in a different way, r- really, really was driven home for me, um, you know, as this report was developed. Um, I think there's a there's a great example in there that, that I I refer to a lot, um, and I think to me it's it's, it's it illustrates the point perfectly. Um, it's it, the example um, is for the island of Rhodes in Greece, and the the very concrete um, information there basically um, illustrates that in order just to service p- 
peak season tourist demand on an annual basis, Rhodes is one of those places where they have extremely busy summers, you know, extremely busy sort of peak season from April to October. Um, so the, the island, in order to, to service only peak season tourists and no, nothing for residents, had to build an entirely new uh, power plant um, that, that locked them in to another generation of, um, you know, fossil fuels um, and that taxpayers are um, paying um, per visitor that comes to the island, you know, more than almost, I think it's a a euro and a half per night (laughs) um, to to fund this power plant. So to me, um, that really, that example just really struck home, you know, in a really concrete way. It's like, well, do, do the vis- do the residents there understand what what it, what it, because many of them have a, an emotional re- reaction in some ways to tourism, right? We we love tourism because it brings uh, uh, it brings people to our community, or we don't like it because it's crowded, or whatever the, the case. But this kind of information, I, I sincerely doubt that the, the average resident of the island really gets um, what it is that, that, that they are paying for and what those and what those costs look like not only in the in the short term this sort of concrete hard cost but the um, you know the 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 long-term cost of, of what the, what the island will uh, the impact will be on the island uh, uh, you know of, of um, adding this power plant so it just really brought it home to me and it made me think about the the fact that we, we need to have a better dialogue with communities so that they are um, truly understanding and not just asking them in a survey, are you happy with tourism or not? Because it's not enough. We need to equip them with the information to really understand um, the whole picture and, and participate in the discussion in a meaningful way. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Yeah, I think especially those communities that will be affected by climate change, by rising sea levels, it is certainly important that they understand, that we understand, you know, the, that long-term impact and if that euro a day is actually going to help us pay for that. 
Um, something that really that really struck me from the report is it kind of says, you know, at the end, like some a few things that destinations need. And they say, you know, destinations need our attention, resources, dynamic leadership, new talent, investment platforms, analysis of the invisible burden um, to benefit residents and visitors alike. And dynamic leadership and new talent really struck me. And I think that's because I'm living on the Oregon coast and working on the Oregon coast. And sometimes I hear this conversation like, well, we've always done it this way. <laughs> it's always been this way. And sometimes it's like, wow, we could really use some dynamic leadership, especially during times like COVID and wildfires and over tourism to, to really look at the, look at this pro- problem of over tourism, both the short term and long term, um, you know, implications of that. So I did think that was super interesting. And then another thing that stuck out to me um, in kind of a sad way is it says in the video, destinations become spoiled and residents protest or are forced to leave. And so I'm curious if there's any destinations that come to mind when you think of this consequence. Um, Yeah, Uh, um, the Riviera Maya really, um, really comes to mind, is the first destination that comes to mind. Um, when I when I hear about this, um, it's been, you know, it's a place that I have visited and worked sporadically over the years. First, just as a young traveler, you know, backpacking with friends, um, and then and then sort of shockingly coming back a few years later as a professional and seeing just how much it had changed and evolved, and, and not necessarily for the better. Um, in my opinion, um, just just because what what had been there, the sort of natural, um, the the sort of natural and organic beauty of the the region, the the real evident um, culture, um, much of it has been um, overtaken, you know, over the years by just a tremendous amount of development, um, and I think it happened so quickly that I don't think. Um, anyone knew knew what, what hit them, you know, and 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 it's and it's amazing how how rapid that development can can be, and, and how quickly it transforms the essence of a place. Um, I remember I remember um, uh, coming back for work a couple of years ago, and and um, and going for a meeting. We were staying in a in a hotel that was kind of a one of the typical resorts in, in the area. And uh, uh, my colleague and I <laughs> went to the to the front of the resort and asked one of the the guys who was working at the front desk, where, you know, where can we find Mexico? <laughs> where can we find, you know, sort of half joking, but where is Mexico? Where's the real country? <laughs> and he and he was and he pointed us just five blocks away, and it was almost like right. break, breaking through the like in the Truman Show, and the guy runs into the wall. It was sort of like breaking through the wall, and there was. The Mexico that I remember. <laughs> so it's really interesting, you know, to, to have this sort of like it's built on top of the place. The place is still there, but it's hidden. Um, and uh, and I know, I mean, I, I work with lots of great um, people in that region. We, we have a great new partnership that we've launched with a company, with an organization there called Sustentur um, to, to help uh, uh, design and, and, and develop projects in Mexico. Um, so there's there are a lot of good people in the region that are that are working um, that are working to 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 uh, improve the situation, but it, it's just amazing to me how how quickly how quickly that occurred, and um, 
you know, how I think in, in, in the long term, it, it just makes you wonder what's the, you know, what, what's the future of that place? Um, and have they protected the, the resources and the things that make the, the, the region special? Because if not, people will leave and then, you know, we'll just be left with a bunch of empty resorts. And that's, you know, there, there are examples of that all over where, where after that curve happens, um, you know, people just abandon the, the community and, and there's nothing left. Um, so, so I worry about places like that because th this curve has happened many times and, and, um, and it's really unfortunate. Yeah, I think that's a great example. Um, for anybody that's interested and is hearing about this report and they've listened to this video now, um, and I'm sure there's people out there that are like, wow, this is this is so clicking with me. This all makes sense. Um, where can people find this report at? Yeah, um, it is online at invisibleburden.org. Um, and it is downloadable for free. Um, you did, you didn't need to enter your email address. Um, but, um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, um, it, it's easily accessible there. So I would love to hear too briefly, what are some, you know, we're going to talk about the future of tourism coalition next, but what are some of the new projects? And that seems crazy to say new because this report is fairly new. The future of tourism coalition is fairly new, but what are some other new projects that the travel foundation has underway to support tourism recovery during this, the hellish year of 2020? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we've been really focused on, um, on the recovery phase and, and, and thinking about how do we support, um, you know, destinations, and, um, and and companies particularly, I mean, there, there's a, a already a tremendous amount of research around the uh, the most vulnerable populations, small business owners, women, indigenous people who have who are suffering even more from the um, from the challenges that have occurred within the tourism sector. So we've been we've been really focused on how our programs can ultimately support recovery, um, economic recovery, while not losing the uh, the heart of what, what we're about, um, which is again you know helping to to better understand the benefits and uh, and impacts of tourism and, and ensure that communities are at the center of that conversation. So actually, I think the two have come together really nicely because um, because I think both things are possible. There's been a lot of talk about building back better and the new normal, and actually, I don't really like love those phrases. I think they're I think they're empty platitudes unless you really put some meaning behind it and, and shift you know and shift the conversation. So that's what we're trying to do. Um, one of the cool projects I'd love to share. Um, we are working with a, a company called City Nation Place, which is a media company, um, and we've designed um, a, a, um, a pro bono program. So we're providing uh, support um, to five destinations with their recovery plans, um, and, and the focus is on ensuring that these medium and long-term objectives around community resilience are, are built into their plans. Um, so for that project, we're working with the Colorado Tourism Office, um, Edinburgh, Indigenous Tourism Ontario, Grenada in the Caribbean, and Quang Ninh in Vietnam, in northern Vietnam. Um, we purposefully chose a really diverse group of destinations in addition to working with them on a sort of one-to-one -one basis to provide recommendations for their recovery strategies. We've also brought them together into a little focus group. And the idea there is to have exchanges um, and share ideas and solutions and 
and challenges and even commiserate a bit um, through this process. Um, so that's been really interesting. And we're going to be sharing the um, takeaways from that, um, that work um, at an event that we're participating in in November um, through, for, with City Nation Place. Um, and we're also, um, we've also developed a, a really cool new partnership with the South Pacific um, tourism organization that we're really excited about. Um, the first thing that we're doing with that partnership is uh, providing some workshops for um, the Pacific destinations on this recovery plan assessment that we've developed. And we have a bunch of other new um, you know, ideas that are sort of simmering um, that I can't announce just yet, but we're really excited to be partnering with that regional organization to, to look at um, you know, how, that, how they take a, a leadership role in um in uh you know in the next paradigm that, that tourism will um, will be building back toward wow i am so geeking out over here and i wish i could be a fly on the wall i wish i you know could just be have like three different ongoing lives happening so i could just <laughs> <laughs> follow you around and shout at you but also do my own job so um congratulations on all those ongoing projects and those really exciting partnerships that is that is very impressive and i'm really excited to see what is simmering and what some of the um, results are of these partnerships. Um, another exciting thing that has just very, very recently happened, and I'm going to read this little paragraph and I wish I could say it like a superhero because it kind of sounds like a superhero story. Um, but here we go. Six organizations have come together for the very first time <laughs> <laughs> to form the future of tourism coalition with the global mission to place destinations at the center of recovery strategies. The Center for Responsible Travel, Destination Stewardship Center, Green Destinations, Sustainable Travel International, Tourism Cares, and the Travel Foundation with the guidance of the Global Sustainable Tourism Council. Um, that sounds like these six superheroes have united for the first time, Jeremy. Um, what can you tell us about what's going on here? Yeah, it's our version of the League of Justice or whatever. I, I don't know. I'm not a superhero guy, but I know there's something like that. <laughs> um, um, yeah, you know, th this was the this was a moment to do something like this. I have to say, we, we um, first of all, just just to say that um, you know, we working in the the sort of nonprofit NGO world um, are are here to, to, to support the, the tourism sector. And, and in some ways I feel we've been a bit sidelined <laughs> over the years. And, and this is a, a bit of an attempt to say, you know, it's sort of high time that we have a louder voice and, um, and are, are able to work even closer with the sector to address um, the significant sort of meta issues that, you know, that the sector faces, but also to help the sector um, deliver on its promise of, of, of being a force for good. Um, so this was an attempt to, to get a bit of a louder voice and to, to ins, you know, insert ourselves more clearly into, into this conversation. It's really interesting because, um, you know, these organizations have all been around for about the same amount of time. Uh, many of us um, are fairly new in our roles, many of the, the leaders of the organizations. So there's been leadership change in several of them. And we started this idea of coming together actually back in December, January. Um, so before the crisis and started having some conversations, there's this analogy, it's a bit overused, but I really, that I really love or a metaphor, I should say, um, which is, which is that, you know, either 
um, you know, you can fight over crumbs or you can just make a bigger pie. And this is also the idea, like, you know, let's stop competing. Um, uh, we all work mm -hmm. in the same space. We have similar objectives. Let's, um, let's do something bigger, bigger than we could possibly accomplish on our own. And so with that, um, with that um, philosophy in mind, we, we actually had our first meeting in the, I think it was the first or second week of March. Um, we came together, we, we all looked at each other on, on Zoom, of course, um, celebrated for a moment the fact that we had, we had, that we had come together because we felt it was a pretty momentous deal just to accomplish that. And then we looked around at each other and said, what the hell's going on around us? <laughs> the world is crumbling. You know, this is early March when things were feeling really, really strange. And we thought, this is it. I mean, in a sense, this is also a moment that we must leverage um, to, to ensure um, that, that um, the conversation around um, where tourism goes from here, um, you know, it, it, it is, um, it, you know, is um, along the lines of, of the way we think and the, the kinds of objectives that we advocate for. Um, so, you know, it's just been amazing. We, we've really yeah. come together around a set of 13 guiding principles that we developed um, together. And um, we, from the beginning, thought it was really important that we brought on partners in, in industry and in government and destinations um, to, to um, review and agree to the principles that we developed and, and become part of this movement. So we launched with 22 founding signatories, including some, you know, some big names like Hilton, um, Intrepid Travel, several destinations. Um, who signed on from the beginning. And since our launch, we've had more than 300 other organizations become signatory to the principles. Um, so we're now um, in a bit of a listening and analysis mode, um, talking to, to our signatory community about how we will go from here to grow our, grow our influence and, and frame up our work going forward. But we're really interested in the idea of galvanizing a movement where we can bring in more and more um, actors within the industry to agree on some common targets um, across government, across industry, um, that the industry needs to be um, transparently measuring and reporting on um, around issues like climate, around equity, around diversity and inclusion, and around um, you know, in, ensuring that communities um, uh, have a, a, a better quality of life. Um, so this is a bit where we're headed, and we're, we're really excited to to continue this conversation and aligning with some some uh, some bigger um, organizations and partners as well as we go forward to ensure that, that the industry is able to has a place to come together around these important issues. Yeah, that's incredible. And when I had first read this, you know, I'm kind of a critical thinker and reader. I was like, future of tourism according to who? You know, but I think you just, everyone, I mean, you you guys have got all these different industries and sectors coming together. Um, so I think that will really bring a lot of success. And um, the metaphor that we use on the coast a lot is a rising tide lifts all boats. I feel like that one sometimes is overused here, but um, <laughs> this is the American Shoreline Podcast Network. So that's a great metaphor. And we love hearing about all these these different, you know, collaboration and cross-sector partnerships. So if we were dreaming um, in a perfect world, which we're living in. <laughs> right. um, so perfect. <laughs> let's say that you and I are on this podcast again in 10 years. Um, and I'm saying, 
Hey, Jeremy. So we talked about the Future of Tourism Coalition 10 years ago. You know, what all has happened in this time? What are a few of the top things that you hope you'll be able to report on? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hope first and foremost that um, um, that the, the, the collaboration will not only have continued, but have grown. Um, we did design this initiative to be really inclusive. Um, and, and it's interesting because when we, when we launched our principles, we did get some feedback from people, um, you know, according to who, and did we, did we bring in uh, enough diverse voices? Um, so we, we've been listening and, and trying to bring in those voices, voices of, um, you know, voices of uh, women, of um, indigenous, um, you know, indigenous communities, um, vo- voices from different geographies to make sure that um, this is not a, um, you know, sort of only a white uh, colonial perspective, you know, on, on the future. Um, so I hope that what we will have done will have, will be have galvanized a, a movement that's that's really truly inclusive um, and is able to to reflect the needs of, of a diverse, um, you know, diverse communities. It, it's really difficult in tourism. I mean, tourism is an extremely complex um, sector with. You know, it's the, the entire world, <laughs> companies of all, you know, many different sectors within just private sector, different government agencies. Um, it's, 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 it's really complex. So to, to um, but I think this is actually the problem and the opportunity. So if, if, if you know, in 10 years, if we've actually been able to, to galvanize a community that, that's, that's, a, that's come together and is, is really bringing its various agendas under one umbrella, um, that, that will have been tremendous success. And the other thing I, I really hope that we, we will have done is that we will better, have better demonstrate, demonstrated um, in a concrete and measurable way this idea that tourism is a force for good. At, at the end of the day, I, I believe that tourism can be a force for good. I'm a, I love tourism. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a traveler. I love the industry so much. But I think we need to do a better job of demonstrating how tourism can can really contribute to to conservation, and, and, you know, and protection of biodiversity. Can help us as a planet achieve our climate targets, um, so that we're not dealing with this massive existential crisis can um, can really deliver on its promise of being a, a, a you know of being good for communities of actually being equitable um, you know uh, we we get failing grades now on diversity and inclusion why I and mean, this is a, a sector that should should celebrate diversity so let's you know that we will have shown that we actually are a leader um, in this really important topic and that ultimately communities are are, are genuinely benefiting and the quality of life is um, is not only being sustained but but thriving and that we'll, we'll, we'll have shown um, through um, you know concrete measurable targets and inspiring stories that that tourism is responsible for achieving those things yeah I totally agree and I love your answer and I love all the work that the Travel Foundation is working on and all the information that you shared with us today. And I'm so glad you were able to join us on Big Tourism. Um, is What is the best way for people to find out more about the Travel Foundation? Sure. Um, so our website is uh, thetravelfoundation.org.uk. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at TravelTF. Um, and you can also... Follow me, Jeremy Sampson, on LinkedIn. Um, we, we're, the Travel Foundation is not as active, but I, like you, Erica, 
love LinkedIn. <laughs> and I'm, I'm always trying to post um, good, good, interesting, and <laughs> useful content there that, that represents our organization. So, you know, f- f- uh, LinkedIn with me, please. Um, follow us. Um, be a part of the conversation. And if you work in tourism um, and are a, um, a destination or a company or um, any other actor within the sector and interested in becoming a signatory to future of tourism, I, I highly recommend doing that too. It's an open process for anyone who um, is interested in adhering to the principles and joining our movement. And that's at futureoftourism.org. Perfect. Well, thanks again to Jeremy Sampson, CEO of the Travel Foundation, for joining me on Big Tourism today. Um, and to all of our American Shoreline Podcast Network listeners, thanks for tuning in and looking forward to our next episode. Thanks for having me. Yeah, 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 yeah.